It's time to get scrumptious with two sexy English muffins. It sounds delicious and it's adorable. It's Matt and Alex all day breakfast. Do you reckon you're living in an old meth lab, Alex? <laughs> um, uh, I don't think I am. Um... I mean, the laundry was a bit dodgy when we first oh. came in, but tidied that up. Outside toilets deteriorate <laughs> a lot quicker than inside toilets. Oh, I tell you what, I lived in a house with an outside toilet, and that place had some secrets. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I would love uh, to secrets, be a wall. Do you mean redbacks, <laughs> or what are you? What are you talking about? I just know that stuff has gone on for, across the decades. I mean, just the stuff that me and my flatmates did in that thing was uh, was absolutely because <laughs> it's not one of the on. things. Because if you're living in a house and you have an inside toilet and an outside toilet, you're obviously going to choose the inside, except for some situations where <laughs> that toilet's expendable. Let's just say <laughs> the outside toilet is the most likely place you're going to take a sip of beer that is actually someone's ashtray. <laughs> All right, that's the Okay, I, I've just realised, if you're just joining us and you've been listening all week, um, we went lowbrow Monday, we uh, we poshed it up yesterday and it looks like we're right back where we started, Matt. We've come full circle. Yeah. Okay, but, um, but well, no, look, we are going to get out of the gutter again. Although, let us know what's happened in your backyard <laughs> toilet, okay? No. Tell us the stories. No. What's no, no well, another, t- none another are used, time. None are used for toilets anymore. So, like, what are your what are your backyard toilet tales? Anyway, <laughs> we're moving on. We've got a big show. Really excited. We've got we got some really great guests on the show. We can't wait to chat to them. But first up, speaking of houses, Alex Dyson, mm. and uh, what might have been in them before, we've got a very interesting house that you might be able to stay in. Exactly. I would almost say that this house doesn't only have an outside toilet, it's got an outside bidet. That's how posh we're looking here. <laughs> so let's get into it in a moment. It's Matt and Alex, All Day Breakfast. Hello. This is just the start. Everyone ready? Let's get this show on the road. Let's go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Matt and Alex, All Day Breakfast. Now, Alex Dyson, yesterday we talked about the 20th anniversary of a great moment in history, uh, the Sydney 2000 Olympics game. We might be talking to someone who was a part of that whole celebration uh, a little bit later on in the podcast, but now we're looking at something that's marking the 30th anniversary of also an incredibly historic moment in, in our lives, Alex Dyson. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you how I became the Prince of a town called Bel-Air. Yes, 30 years since the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air debuted on television, and the cast have got together for a very, very cute, uh, you know, reunion selfie, Matt. Uh, it's It's been great. I mean, it's, what a show. Getting home from school, putting it Dude. on. Watching you uh, the don't Fresh understand. Prince and I'm uh, telling you, DJ Jazzy Jeff do their I'm thing. I'm sure you enjoyed it. I really do. But as a young brown person in Australia watching this show, man, this was like it was groundbreaking for me. I, I was I idolized Will Smith and what he was doing in this show and just the fun and silliness of it. I absolutely loved it. I you know half the reason probably why I do the things I do, if I'm going to be completely honest, is, mm. is because of, you know, Will Smith and what he was doing back then. So, I mean, I have so much love for this show, which is why I was incredibly excited <laughs> to see a little something-something pop up on the internet a few weeks ago. Someone sent me a link and said, Oi, Oi, bros, 
You seen this little, little linky? It's so a- I gave it a click and uh, this is what I watched. You are carrying a gun on the streets to protect yourself? I've done my best, Will. But it's time for a change. You're going to Bel Air to live with your uncle and your auntie. A gritty reboot of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. That's incredible. I mean, when someone says, hey, they're going to remake The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, one, I was furious that I was not asked to be involved. (laughs) Absolutely. I have wanted... The Fresh Prince of Indrapilly. Imagine (laughs) it. I have wanted that my whole life, okay? But I watched it, a man, and I am so... Skeptical of reboots, mm. like I, I, I'm just like, yeah, sure, because it feels like no one's making an original show and movie anymore. It's like, hey, let's just make another Spider-Man. We've re- we've seen the origin <laughs> story of Spider-Man like four times in my lifetime, you know. <laughs> but this, Did- I was like, oh, they've done this different. Mm. And didn't Will Smith see it? And he's like, I want to produce this into a proper show, and like. Yes. It's happening. So these guy, this guy just did it off, off, on his own bat and then suddenly Will Smith sees it, picks it up, and they have now just announced, um, you know, there's a little bit of a promo sort of thing with it, but uh, <laughs> they've announced that Peacock has picked it up. So Peacock, uh, the um, the online streamer version in the States, it hasn't launched in Australia yet, of uh, NBC. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's a big, big thing, and they picked up two seasons, which is pretty you know, if anyone's ever, you've ever made a TV show, getting approved for two seasons off the bat, whew, unheard yeah. of. Uh, the other cool thing for Fresh Prince fans is that uh, you can also apparently stay the night at the Bel Air Mansion, which <laughs> where the Fresh Prince of Bel Air was filmed. Look, it's only thirty US dollars and for a one night stay. And visitors will have the Fresh Prince's wing of the mansion all to themselves and enjoy some other experiences like playing basketball in the bedroom, taking the turntables for a spin, like DJ Jazzy <laughs> Jeff. Throwing got an outfit from the prince's closet or luxuriating on the sun deck poolside. $30 a night. That's that's cheaper than my rent. Like, that is genuinely <laughs> that, cheaper hell? than my rent. I don't have basketball in my bedroom. I'm paying a lot more than... <laughs> I've stayed in some absolute cornholios for $30 a night, honestly. So that's pretty cool. You can stay in there for $30 a night. And I think it's, it's sort of sparked a, a, a frenzy of... Places from TV and movies, Matt O'Kine, that now Airbnb are trying to advertise. Um, we've, oh. we've actually got a list of some upcoming <laughs> do, pop, do we? pop culture residences, which no. due to the popularity we- of, of, of this will soon be coming to the market to, uh, to step in. Let's, we, let's, we got let's this list. We do. Um, let's have a look. Hi, Matt and Alex here from Pop Culture Real Estate, and we're so excited to be bringing you some of the newest listings that we've got here for entertainment premises. Come on, let's go take a look. First up is The Mansion from The West Wing, also known as The White House. Yes, it's huge and has many rooms, but the catch is you have to share it with possibly the most punishing roommate of all time. If you look at the downsize, why don't you pop over to the RV from Breaking Bad? It's got a fully decked out kitchen and you can cook as much as you like. And while we're on Trailer Park Delights, let's check out Rabbit's Mama's House in 8 Mile. This two by three metre cosy space comes complete with a brand new sweater and a bowl of spaghetti. Mama's special recipe. 
Fans of Winnie the Pooh will delight in this rotten tree with a hole in it. Come inside and check it out for yourself. We're on exactly the same wavelength because we also have, for all the insect lovers out there, the ant's nest in a bug's life. You'll have to shrink to a possibly one thousandth of your current size, but once there, you'll have up to 10,000 workers at your disposal. But warning, this ecom is privy to natural disasters such as rain, flooding and kids with sticks. These offers won't last long, so jump on board now. Coffee? Yeah, coffee. A seventh coffee never hurt anyone. No, I feel a buzz. Now, Matt, yesterday on the show we had a big reminisce about the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. A lot of uh, hysteria around it because it, it was simpler times. It was greater times. It was the greatest Olympics of all time and I contend will continue to be until it comes back to Australia again, whatever, in 50 years or whatever. But... Someone got in touch with us regarding our chats because a lot of it was about not only Kathy Freeman's historic gold medal win, but the opening ceremony bit of Nikki Webster came into the mix. And we had a, uh, an all-day breakfast listener named Ashley get in touch with us. Yeah, that's right. Slid into the DMs. You can always do that at matt.andoalex on Instagram and said, boys, my dad was the lone rider in the Sydney Olympics opening ceremony. He started the ceremony. The, it, the lights dimmed. A man on a horse rides out to the middle of the arena, rears up and cracks his whip, and then Sydney 2000 began. This is what it sounded like. <laughs> Stephen Jeffries is his name. He whipped it. He whipped it good. And now he's joining us 20 years on on All Day Breakfast. Hello, Stephen. G'day, guys. And even just listening to it like that, it uh, it makes you very proud. Oh, oh, I bet it does. I mean, it's so, it gives you goosebumps. We talked about all the moments yesterday and just that then. It's an incredible moment in history. Talk us through it. I mean... What was it like standing there, or no, sitting on a horse backstage <laughs> in that in that environment? Well, it was, um, you know, it was fairly nerve wracking in many ways because, you know, a horse that's been taught to rear up, he's he's inside um, a concrete um, tunnel, really waiting to come out, and the last thing you want him to do is um, start rearing up early. So we had we had a few kids in there with some biscuits and things trying to. Keep him <laughs> occupied with food <laughs> before he before he went out. It's incredible. When did you uh, first get picked, and how did you get picked for this very important job of uh, opening up Australia's opening ceremony for the Olympics? Well, mate, it was actually quite funny because it was um, it was never really for the, at the start. They never really um, planned to have a horse go out singularly like that. There was the hundred and twenty horses, or originally they wanted two hundred horses to come out until they realised that they wouldn't fit in the arena. So then, <laughs> so, That sounds so, like an episode uh, of the games. No, yeah, that was, that's COVID restrictions before the COVID <laughs> restrictions. Yeah. Okay, so, um, all right, so yeah, what happened? Well, then they decided, David Atkins and Ignatius Jones, the two um, geniuses behind the, the horse segment, both uh, decided they needed something to take the the um, the thunder to, to, to allow the other horses time to get into the arena without, you know, too much 
sort of dragging as they came through. The, to get 120 horses in, it wasn't going to happen that instantly. So they sent this horse out to take the focus. And did they pick you because you were the best rider or did they pick your horse because it was the best horse? <laughs> well, who who do you reckon was uh, was carrying that, that side of things, Stephen? Mate, it was just luck. It was just luck. I had the only horse that was that was available to do it and um, so uh, <laughs> I was the rider. And so tell us about afterwards, what was the celebration like? It must have been an absolute, you know, party backstage. Well, you know, like... Again, but the security around these things had us where we had to have all the horses into the stadium at like, you know, nine o'clock in the morning or something, all the trucks rolled in. And we sat around and sat around and sat around waiting for that, that um, seven o'clock kickoff, whatever it was. And um, there were so many people to follow us into those, into the bombs of the stadium that they wanted that we had to get out. So as soon as, as, soon as we, we finished, those horses just went straight out onto the trucks we were home, showered, watching the rest of the the um, <laughs> opening God. ceremony at a at a at a pub in Castle Hill. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> and you would have been at the pub going, mate. I was just there, and everyone's like, "Oh, shut up, Steven!" Yeah. <laughs> Tell another tall tale. <laughs> um, talk us through the whip crack because that would have been nerve wracking. Every now and again, here on All Day Breakfast, we need to sync up our audio, and I need to do a clap. And even then, I stuffed it up. I didn't make the perfect sound. <laughs> what were you thinking trying to make the crispest crack of all time, Stephen? Well, it hadn't gone well in a few of the um, uh, rehearsals. For instance, I'd gone out one day, dropped the whip, he stepped sideways, stepped onto the whip, and I went to crack it and he's standing on it. Oh, so, no! no! <laughs> so it was the mistakes that we made along the way that that sort of geared us up to prepare for the for the for the real run. So the cracking the whip was something that you know we do it quite a lot in in our game. And um, so once once we got there, got him settled. I mean, you've got a horse that's going out there. He's on he's on fire as he comes out. All I could see was flashing lights in front of me from the cameras. <laughs> And and the adrenaline, he was he was really moving. So the biggest problem was just to get him to stop, stop where he was supposed to be, and get that rear to happen. As he went up, then then as I said, I had to make sure that that whip wasn't under his feet. <laughs> yeah. And then the rest the rest just happened. Goodness gracious! They had him mic'd up. There was a mic underneath the horse to pick up that sound. Mm. Well, some of the big, I know, let's be honest here, some of the big players in the game, they they whip sync um, when it comes to getting <laughs> okay. getting the sounds. All right, I'll pay <laughs> over that. It, but you, my that. friends, uh, did it live on the night, and for that we respect <laughs> you. But are you a little bit upset that Nicky Webster got all the glory from the Sydney 2000 Games and you opening up the event, it just really went under the radar? Mate, what, is, what do they say about with kids and kids and animals and that sort of thing? They always take the limelight, don't they? I mean, Nikki, Nikki, she was just flying around and just just took the world by surprise. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, it's incredible stuff. We're so impressed with uh, the way that the ceremony started, that you were a part of it. It must be something you're incredibly proud of. And obviously your daughter Ashley is incredibly proud of it as well because she reached out to us. Super, super excited to let us know that you were a part of it and I'm sure it's something that she tells to all of her friends and family and everyone. So congrats again, Stephen, and uh, hopefully, look, 
Who knows? Brisbane 2032, yes. I think we're looking yes. at. Get the I've call still up got again. the dry as a bone, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Nice, uh, Steve and Jeffries, really appreciate it. And uh, we will, yeah, talk to you on the 40th anniversary. Thanks, guys. Nice to talk to you. Order up. Just how you like it. Perfect. All day breakfast. Matt O'Kine, huge news in the world of not the world, and that, of course, being off planet Earth. And uh, one of our closer neighbours, the planet of Venus, there's been a, a few signs that potentially could be an indication of life. Yeah, now... Absolutely, and and Alex and I are not exactly experts uh, in astronomy. We do do a little bit of astrology, dabble, and guilty <laughs> with our horoscopes. And trust me, it took a long time into my life to know the difference between those two. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie, but uh, we are talking today. A great guest on the show is uh, an astronomer um, from Swinburne University, Professor Alan Duffy. Such a pleasure. He works on mainly dark matter. Dark energy, galaxy formation, cosmology, but he's here to chat about life on Venus today. Welcome to the show, Alan Duffy. Thanks for having me. It must have been in my star signs that I was it was going to be on this today. <laughs> yeah, it's very now, now you are you are squinting through one eye here. Can you just give us a? We caught you at the wrong time, possibly. Uh, yeah, but but my more relevantly, my daughter caught me at the wrong time. I I think she has actually. S- Ruined my eye with a small toy straight in the eye. Oh, we can, with telescopes, we, we can see a lot, but I didn't see this coming. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan, you are, we've got you. We've got you on the video call here. Your virtual uh, background yeah. is that of a um, of a, of of a matter, galaxy fact, of, yeah. of dark <laughs> matter, but the uh, unfortunately the physical background is is you look at like you're giving me and Matt a, a, a tasty wink. Um, <laughs> it's it's but, been a long running wink, at least two minutes long. Now, yeah, it's getting creepy. I'm so, so, yeah. so sorry, we won't keep you very long. But we we're just so excited to hear about this news. Uh, you know, we clicked on the uh, on the websites yesterday and discovered that there's potential. Potential for life mm-hmm. on Venus. What's this about? Yeah, this is a huge discovery. This was uh, a, one of the most exciting signs for life in our solar system and the most unlikely planet. Venus is <laughs> is a, a hellish world. This is a world that's hot enough to melt lead on the surface. The pressure, if you were staying there, would crush a submarine. Uh, it just rains pure acid. This is not great for a holiday destination. There's just reruns of Bing Bang Theory, like, all day. It's just... No, wait, no. It's, Big it's Bang hellish. You want to get out. You want to get out. Bing Bang Theory is probably your jam, right? I mean, is that... Uh, is that no, is I'm more community man. I oh, like, okay, cool, I like cool, to cool. celebrate the geeks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah fair enough. Um, but we, but yeah. in, this, in this amazing uh, uh, planet that really should have no business finding any signs of life, there is a gas called phosphine now. On Earth, at least, this gas is associated with microbial life in the in the guts of emperor penguins. And uh, basically, they're in, in an oxygen-free environment along with everything else that's in a penguin's guts. These little microbes produce phosphine. So on Earth, we see phosphine, we think of life. We can't make that claim yet for Venus, but it's incredibly exciting because they've ruled out all the other potential ways we know from a you know, geology or chemistry kind of way to make it. Uh, 
And it's, there's about 10,000 times more of it than we can account for any other way. So everyone's getting very excited, but it's a huge claim. So we're so, not going to say it's like. So the closest thing to, to the conditions on Venus is an emperor penguin's gut. Uh, I wasn't <laughs> going to make that exact conclusion, but no. It's, can but, I? but these kind of microbes exist on Earth in those mm. environments. And there is a place, a very special place on Venus if you go 50 kilometers from the surface, it gets cool enough, the pressure drops enough, that it actually becomes like an Earth-like environment, the same temperature, same pressure. There, floating in those clouds, you might have microbes. Uh, if, if this co- confirmation uh, continues with extra observations, blah, 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 all the usual astronomer kind of yeah, wow. to this. But, but, but how, yeah. how do they even know that this stuff is there? Like, was there a, did a, a drive-by test tubing happen? Like, I, I genuinely don't understand. Did they swab Venus's septum? <laughs> how did they pick up, how did they detect this? Yeah, so this this is a pretty amazing measurement by uh, uh, Jane uh, Greaves. So she was using uh, the James Clerk Maxwell telescope. This is a radio telescope. And it picked up the signal of this phosphine uh backlit by the planet itself. So we know it's definitely in the clouds as being illuminated, backlit by the warmer planetary surface. Uh, Giant radio telescopes have looked at this, have picked up the signal. The next step, though, is we want to confirm what it is. We have to go to Venus. There's no substitute. We've got to go to this hellish world and uh, do so in a giant inflatable balloon. That that seriously is what NASA is planning to do. Seriously? Hang around in the clouds. In a balloon with... Droids or helium balloon? Yeah, yeah. Even if we do find life on Venus, after we send the helium balloon there, all the life is going to be like talking like this. Like, hey. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Duffy. I'm sorry. And after this is I not had, why you got into, I had the. I'm gall. crying with laughter, Matt. It's, it, I'm crying with laughter. I swear, <laughs> the, it's not after, just agony of my eye. Yeah. After I had the gall of making fun of Big Bang Theory, and here I am. <laughs> Delivering yeah. <laughs> gags like that. Abs- well, what a Surprised waste. you didn't say bazinga after that punchline. <laughs> but okay. um, it's just, I was just going to divert a little bit of attention from Mars. I mean, it has been uh, Australia. Venus? No, Mars being oh. where we've been focusing our energy of where potentially mm. life could be. Are we going to start sort of going the other way? Are we like the meme of the guy looking over his shoulder at Venus while Mars <laughs> looks on shocked? Honestly, that, that took about 10 minutes for that meme to start to circulate, that exact one. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been done. It's been done, Alex. Damn it. Old news. <laughs> I wish I could have claimed credit for it. it was a good well, one. at least um, my helium joke was original, <laughs> Alex. So come on. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, how do you feel about what? What do you think personally is most likely to have life, Mars or Venus? Oh, I've got to still go with Mars. There's just a lot of cool things going on there. There's still water on the surface. It's 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 more hospitable. But why not both? Why not do another meme where there's a young Mexican girl <laughs> asking about tortillas? <laughs> why not both? Mia Gravita, we had her on the show just recently, so shout out to Mia. Yeah, um, she is a good friend of all day breakfast, yeah. Ella Duffy. So whenever you need a contact with uh, with Mia, just let us know. We'll hook you up. You'll be able to get uh, get her for uh, for your own uh, memes. That's very exciting. Thank you. Sure is. Well, Alan Duffy, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, talking through us. And for you listening, you don't understand. 
Yeah. Alan is in actual pain. Yeah. Like, he's going to the GP straight. He's about to go. Not only did he stay and put up with our jokes, <laughs> he's got the pain of his eye. We're going to let you go. I really appreciate it, Alan. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. And if you want to keep tabs on uh, Alan's work and see if the eye is okay in the end, at Prof Alan Duffy, you'll be able to, uh, yeah, keep an eye on him. I'll share some posts. No pun intended. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Cheers, guys. Well, Matt, it has been a big, big show today. Uh, another great reminisce about Sydney 2000 uh, this week, looking back at some of the great uh, not only open ceremony moments that we heard from Stephen Jeffries there, but Kathy Freeman. Uh, get on the documentary. Definitely, if you haven't seen Freeman, uh, have a watch. Just <clears throat> o- absolutely awesome stuff. And uh, it was so incredible. I saw on Twitter Kathy Freeman running in the stall gift in 1996, right, doing the 400 metres. Did you see this, Matt? No, I haven't seen it. She had a handicap of 53 metres, okay? <laughs> and she had to catch these other runners. Absolutely incredible. Made up <laughs> that that time. If you haven't seen that as well, check check that out. That is uh, well, on the internet as well. I mean, other than that, I also remember 1994 the uh, in Canada, the Commonwealth Games, where she carried the two flags and the... Yeah, Arthur Tunstall, the head of the Australian Olympic team, said don't do it, and then she did it, and there was apparently controversy. It was mm. inspiring. It was just so great. I, I just, yeah, so, so many great moments from the Olympics. And also, I mean, we revisited yesterday one of the other incredible, you know, sporting moments in Australian history with uh, with my performance against Ipswich Grammar. Um, scored 36 runs. And uh, took three for then took a catch of the first and then kissed a girl I liked. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, that, that was, was it was good. I mean, Kathy's inspired us to look back at our own sporting memories. I never I never told you mine. Uh, yeah, under, what, under what have seventeens, Russell's Creek Football Club. Okay, die mm. so playing reasonably well in the middle in the first half. Had a couple of pings at goal from the center, missed them both. But the second half, something in, ignited. A fire in my belly ignited and suddenly I was unstoppable against old collegians. They swing him forward in the third quarter and I kick three goals for quarter number three playing up forward. That would lead into the into the neck, the final quarter. I take a specky in the goal square to nab my fourth. And that just, and the, the floodgates opened and suddenly goals were coming upon each other, including another one where I grabbed it, danced around a man and kicked a goal. I ignored the captain, Zach Greed, for the hand pass, wet myself, oh. kicked it. He goes to me, because I've kicked so many goals. He goes, you're greedy. And I go, ha ha, no, you are, because his nickname was Greedy, Zach Greed, Greedy, make an incredible joke on the field, finally get a mark, the siren goals, kick my ninth, through the big sticks after the siren, get chaired off, under 17s. Thank you very much, Alex Dice, for taking that out. Third oh. in the uh, the Warrnambool District Football League best and fairest that year. So um, oh, I tell you what, that was a <sighs> big day. Old collegians didn't know what hit them there. I gotta have a cold shower after that. I'm fe- that is I'm hot right now. I can uh, feel the fire again. It, it was a big one. And uh, look, we want you to be proud of your own sporting achievements. So we did mention yesterday to please send us the rundown. You know, a minute, minute and a half rundown of your greatest sporting moments, and we'll uh, we'll polish it up. And we'll let the people know who weren't there. It's it's yeah. absolutely incredible, Matt. It doesn't have to be professional. It doesn't even mm. have to be amateur. You could be it playing could some been... Magic the Gathering. We don't mind. <laughs> it could have happened in the backyard. 
You know what I mean? You took the perfect crocodile mile slide into the pool. <laughs> like just, or, you know, a game of a game of netball with your sister in the little hoop that your dad put up that's dangling down, the net's draping off it. We you do know, not let mind. Us know. Um, and we have had someone take us up on this. Uh, Daniel Patterson, Pattinson. I'm not sure if he's related to Rob from the Australian cricket team, but... James. James, I mean. Rob... <laughs> Rob Patterson, I believe, plays Batman. (laughs) Yeah, played a great game as Batman coming up as well. Uh, But I mean, this guy does Batman. But um, (laughs) sorry, I've done a couple today. I can't. It's I'm unwell. (laughs) But uh, Dan has taken us up on this, and he's uh, given us a voice memo, sent it through uh, on our Insta DMs about his day, and it's an incredible one. We're going to leave you with that today. The story of Daniel Patterson having one of the best games of cricket uh, Australia has ever seen. Thank you very much for listening to All Day Breakfast today, and we're going to catch you tomorrow. I was 16 years old when I debuted in my local cricket club's second 11 side. We bowled first, and I was picked as a bowler, but I was denied a wicket just like Matt was, which was pretty upsetting being a young kid. They made eight for 297, and we came back the following week and batted pretty well. Our captain made 86, and we were nine for 283 when he went out. I came in at number 11, and we needed 14 runs off three overs. The A-graders finished early, so there was a bit of a crowd gathering at this stage. It came down to the last over, and we needed 10 runs to win. I hit four with three balls to go, and the bowler decided to change to bowl around the wicket, which was a big mistake for him. He was an older guy later on in his career, and it confused a lot of people. He targeted my hips, and I turned him around the corner for two runs. It was the last ball, and I needed four runs to win. He bowled the ball in the exact same spot again, and I put him over the mid-wicket boundary for six runs into the crowd. Everybody ran onto the field to celebrate, and I swiftly told the opposition where to go because I was still upset about not getting a wicket the week before. Nobody could find our captain, Jacko, though. That's because he fell out of his chair trying to run onto the field and he tore his Achilles. (laughs) That's it. The all-day breakfast kitchen is closed. Got a story we need to hear? All the links are at mattandalex.com.au.